How do you fight, uh, first of all, battles in your mind, but specifically understanding that the war that we are in is a spiritual one, and you need to deal with it on a spiritual basis. You cannot deal with it on the basis of, hey, I'm trying to, like, case in point, what we talked about just now. It's not about just trying to make it through the day, because the day was not your enemy. You have an enemy that has a long goal. And his goal is to sidestep you or distract you from the things that God has for you in your life, but also for the generations to come. And that's something I mentioned a few weeks ago. We are sometimes so bothered or frustrated by what's happening right in front of us. We totally don't see the fact that there is an enemy who is after my great-grandkids. There is an enemy who is seeking to, to undermine, to suck, to withdraw, or pull me away from the covenant I have made with God. Your parents have made with God. And if you haven't had a family that knows Jesus, and you're the first one, guess what? You have just changed your entire family tree. And God is in the business of bringing people in, and this is where this, this whole idea of the gospel of Jesus is one where God says, I have come to bring peace, and that word peace we talked about is the Hebrew word shalom and the Greek word irene, which are two very rich words. They are translated as peace, but it is well-being in every facet of life. But not only that, everything that is out of place is brought back into wholeness. And we, ever since the Garden of Eden, and when humanity went astray, we have been in this place of separation from God. And that is the key I want to highlight in big bold. The goal of peace is union with God. The goal of everything we see in Scripture is fellowship with God. So if I take those words away, fellowship with God, union with God, it's that word peace. Where God is and you are, there is a wholeness, a togetherness, a harmony. That's how that word is translated. So when you hear a declaration around Christmas time, glory to God, glory in the highs, and peace on earth, it's not just a cool phrase to go with a song. It's declaring God's heart to reconcile all things that have been destroyed or broken or malformed. Anything that was not as it was intended to be, he says, I'm going to put it back together. And last week we went through this whole idea that peace with God is not as the same as what we're going to be dealing with today, which is the peace of God. It's all part of this great work of peace that God is giving to us. But not having God as one of my enemies is a big, big thing. And it's only a part of the peace equation. But it's one of those things we sidestep because we have more of an understanding of the concepts of a, piece of, a little bit of peace of mind. We talked about that last week, right? All we need is a little bit of peace of mind. That sense of tranquility, that calm. 
where in the middle of it, and it's, it's there in that song we just sang, right? I've got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. Guess what? You're not going to understand peace, but there are things you need to know. And that is a totally different thing. Knowing your God is a place you stand. Knowing your God is a place of union, is a place of fellowship that cannot be separated from. To give you a clear example so that you get what I'm getting at. I am a husband. Now for those of you who who know me, also know that I come along with Hannah. Hannah is my... It's a package deal. You never get to have me by myself. No matter where I am. Even if I'm at a guy's night or at a guy's hangout, I'm still part of her. She is a part of me. Ever since we made a covenant with each other, there there is nothing in my life, even the most masculine parts of me, are not defined by me. It's defined by this covenant. So wherever I go, whatever I do, it's in a knowing of. Now I don't, how many of you understand, for those of you who are husbands, how many of you understand your wife entirely? (laughs) Dangerous question. All right? So because you know that that is often a losing game in certain contexts, God has given you to each other to know each other. There are certain things you might not understand. Why did she react like that? Why did he react like this? I don't understand what his thoughts are on this matter. Well, you find out. Sometimes you find out not with lots of words. Sometimes you find out with just being. So do you understand? So fellowship with God is more than just, well, tell me what you're thinking. How many of you have had those conversations in your marriage? Well, just tell me. Well, she doesn't want to tell you right now. So what do we do? Relationship always has multifaceted layers to knowing. It's not just simply saying, give me the manual, give me the book. Give me the details. Cut the extra stuff. Guys, take notes. Sometimes it's not in the details. Sometimes it's in the knowing. It's in the spending of time. It's in the listening. Right? Your relationship with God is quite... God has designed us to know people in that way. So you can say, I, I've read my Bible. I know exactly what the Bible says. It's not about how much Christian theology you know. It's about whether you know Him. This is why the concept of union with God is so central. And God's heart was grieved. Right through Scripture, you see this. He says, I've drawn you to myself. I've brought you close. And guess what? Your heart, you come and give me lip service. You come and sing songs. You do all the drama in church. But your heart is not with me. Guess what? You can spot it a mile away. When your spouse is being iffy. You can spot it a mile away. When your kid has just done something you told them they shouldn't. How? Because there's a knowing. So when God says, I want you to know me, He's not saying, I want you to read your Bible and understand me. Totally different ballgame. We're talking about a relationship where He says, I want you to know me. And guess what? I have written it down. 
But don't you dare go and open the book and try and decode it. I will send you my Holy Spirit who will give you this understanding. So peace is about union with God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. And I want to just go there quickly because I want to set the context for where we're going with the peace of God. You, this is the mis- message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So wherever God is, there cannot be darkness. Agreed? Agreed. Okay. If we say then we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. Okay. This is literally describing a lot of our existence, right? We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, this is what Frank was talking about, cleanses us out of every part of this equation that tries to make you feel like it's one of those things where you're going to have to just work at it. Uh Uh-uh. The blood of Jesus did something so final that he has taken you out of darkness and he says, I've brought you into a place of light. That's the only way you and I get to spend time with him. He's not going to come and cozy up with darkness. He's not going to have a fireside chat with someone who's walking in darkness. He says, the way this is going to happen is you're going to come into the light. Where we ended last week's message is when God walked in the garden, what was the question he asked? Where are you? Was he playing hide and seek with Adam and Eve? He knew exactly where they were. He was like, but why? What is it about this equation right now that's making you hide? Step into the light. This is where your wholeness is. So as those who have received this covenant of peace where God says, Don't worry, I am not, my hand towards you is not a hand coming to strike you in anger. It is a hand of mercy that's saying, take my hand. So when you, when you don't do that, that flinch thing and you say, okay, I'm going to look at you face to face and put my hand in your hand. You are faithful through every generation and you've never let me down. So why would you fail now? Is God trying to teach me a lesson through what I'm going in my, going through in my life? That's not how he teaches lessons. He teaches you lessons within covenant. The circumstance is just part of the journey. He's not using, he's not saying, I'm going to design obstacles for you to see how many you can jump over without me. Oh, you needed help again? Ah, because that's sometimes the theology that people receive. That God's going to put roadblocks in front of you To make you want him. No, 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 no. He says, I want you to want being with me. So that when you go through tests, and that's what Bob teased out in what spiritual warfare is. When you encounter struggles, he says, that is what I'm going to use to train you. But it's not that way around. It's this way around. It's him saying, I want to raise you up in something. So I'm going to let you face an enemy. There will be giants in the land. There will be people who will come against you. There will be hatred. There will be all kinds of things. But you need to be settled with me first. If you're not settled with me, what you're going to end up doing is thinking secretly 
God actually wants this to happen to me. Rather than him saying, this is happening because you have an enemy, but I'm going to use this as a training ground. As a parent, I don't wait. I don't find gravel and rocks and throw it in front of my kid's bike. Just as you need to figure out how to deal with rough road. I'm more focused on making sure my kid knows how to balance. And then as we're going on the journey, I'll say, you're going to face some things. There will be a rough road. Is it me causing the rough road? No, I'm just walking through the minefield of what is a spiritual war and saying, I want you to be matured in these things. John chapter 15 talks about this. Apart from me, you can do? Okay. His goal was union. His goal is not you trying to figure out how to be a pro-Christian. The problem is in church, we train Christian pros who then look at the, the noob and look like, well, that's why you ate it. Because you don't know how to do single wheelie kind of bike tricks. It's all progression. Everything in God is progression. And the progression is maturity. All of this has to do with family. It's never outside of that context. He's not just leaving you out there to the wolves to see when you would figure out that you need help. That's not God's heart. You, think about it. You wouldn't do this to your kid. And we are evil. It's because this kind of lopsided theology has made its way into the church where peace with God is not a central theme. That the declaration, this covenant of peace, let's finish these verses, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us. This is no small matter. This is a big thing. And if we say we have no sin, so He's calling out BS. He's like, He's pulling the flag and He's like, Nuh-uh. If you say you have no sin, the next verse, right? We do not. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful. He's the one who made that covenant. I've always explained the word faithfulness as a ring. It's a covenant that He says, I will be faithful to you. So if we confess, stop hiding, step into the light. I'm not a parent who's looking to give you like the glaring and the whacking on the head and all of that. These are things that some of us grew up with. So whenever we think about discipline or when we think about error, we think about something that has anger and hate as part of the equation. So God's absolute distaste and abhorrence for darkness and then you have your little child in there who's stuck in sin what does he say step into the light first I'm here I'm right here you're joined to me come confess confession is one of those beautiful things that reestablishes 
the equation on which you fight life. I'm no longer doing this maybe because God was mad at me. No, no, no. I'm going through this with God right at my shoulder. God's standing right there and he says, let's tackle this. Have you been bound in a certain addiction? Let's deal with it together. Why? Because you've come clean. I hold nothing back from you. Are you someone who's prone to fear? Lord, I confess that to you. I'm not going that direction. I'm coming to join myself to you. Is there something that I have doubt in? Lord, I believe you. I'm going to do that first. I'm going to do that, that simple step of establishing contact, of establishing the ground on which I stand. So let's talk about this. You have a faithful God who has covered your sin in this declaration of peace. Isaiah 54 verse 10 says, The mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So this is God's heart towards you. For your own study, just write this down. Ezekiel chapter 34 is another place that God explains his heart. For people who are lost, for sheep without a shepherd. Israel had shepherds and they were not very good. They fattened themselves. They got rich off of the sheep. They built big empires. Big ministries. And if you sent them... The shepherds of God did not do a good job. And God was mad. And then God addresses, within the sheep, there were sheep who would push other sheep around and get fat, get all the food, get to the food first. And then there were goats in there. Now, these are all things that remind you of some other passages of Scripture. So when you, for those of you who are doing our John Bible study, when you get to John chapter 10, this is where it comes from. God's heart on that issue comes from here. For thus says the Lord your God, Behold, I myself will search for the sheep, for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. The moment you see scattered, where you see all the places, you're talking about something that's not in peace. Remember what we said definition of peace is? The bringing back. The pulling together. So I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountains of the heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord your God. Now this has a specific fulfillment within the nation of Israel, 
but it was, it was, it was, it's, there is, like with a lot of Old Testament prophecy, there is an immediate realization for the nation, and then there is a far-reaching goal that God was establishing as a type, where his, the nation of Israel was a type of what he was about to do with all things. So when you read passages in Ephesians where God is saying, I'm reconciling all things, he's talking about bringing back to a place of peace the things that have been scattered. He is a good shepherd. So when you hear the word good shepherd, I want you to think peace. He's the one who goes out and he comes in. And where he goes, his sheep follow him. It's union. Do you see that? Do you see that context? It's all about union and fellowship. We have confidence to stand in this place. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, why is, it there? why is the therefore therefore? Right? Whenever you see therefore, always find out why it's therefore. The verses in chapter 4 talk about the work that Jesus did to bring us cleansing, to bring us to a place where we are now counted as blameless. People who are ungodly, So people who did not have the right to earn a standing with God, he says, therefore, since you're justified by simple faith, just like Moses, just like Abraham, just like all of these people who took hold of what God said, and the ver- chapter 4 talks about this, that Abraham took God at his word. And in a similar way, when we just take God at his word, we're not trying to complicate this, we're not trying to get into pro-Christian levels, It's simple faith. It's simply saying, I don't understand. I just believe you. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also access by this faith, this simple faith, into this grace in which we now stand. Grace is not, I'm going to make it through. What we heard today, with this whole idea of making it through, that's not what grace does. Grace is a place of strength to stand in. So when you see, through Him we have also obtained this access by faith into a grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now hope is a potent weapon. Because hope is certain. Hope is established on an expectation that God will do everything that He said He will do. Why? Because I have peace with God. God's not my enemy. So every battle I face is not God trying to do something. God is fully confident in the work that He is doing in you to stand up to whatever the enemy throws at you. And he knows that it's going to be to the praise of his glory. That God would ultimately get the glory from everything. That includes me getting a new body. Which is part of my hope. That this failing body that I'm looking at. Guess what? The glory belongs to Jesus. So there is a renewal of my body. There's a renewal of my mind. And there's a renewal of my spirit. This is the hope that we've been called to. But in all things, Jesus is at the top. But not only in that, we also rejoice in our 
Ah, uh oh. So, on the days when you're feeling like you're not going to make it through, what happens? You can rejoice in that. Are you going to rejoice that the suffering is happening? No. What you can rejoice in, knowing that it produces me, produces in me a stick to itness. Guess what, babe? It's you and me. When I said yes to her, I said yes to everything that she is. The flip side of that is she said yes to everything I am. <laughs> so guess what? Now, all these years later, well, we've gone through some crazy stuff. And there are days you did not want to be on the same journey. I know that, right? But there is a covenant we have made. And I know that this, the testing, the suffering, the things that end up being what we call road bumps, are not trying to test my metal, but rather it's testing the bond. It pushes me back to this place. It pushes me back to the covenant I made. It pushes me to a place where I say, this will produce endurance. And when endurance produces character. And what does character produce? Aha. Uh -huh. I have a legitimate expectation that God will do what he said he will do. I'm still working on, when I tell my wife I will be home at 5.30, I will be home at 5.30. It's something that we've gotten better at. But we communicate now. Before it would be like cold shoulder, whatever, you said you were coming, you, okay, whatever, you do you, and all of that kind of stuff. But now there is, as we grow in our covenant, there is a developing of character within me that says, this is not okay. So that her hope is legitimate. Do you understand? So that the journey is not to try and trip you up. The journey is to reinforce what God has placed in. Yeah. Are you understanding when I said it's this way around, not that way around? Your obstacles are not trying to show you that you need God. But it's saying because you have God, he says, now I'm going to show you the depth of what that covenant is. Yeah. Good. You have a solid place to stand. There is nothing to fear. So this is why one of the biggest comments and phrases you hear through, through the New Testament especially is, do not fear. Why? Because I'm afraid. Look at where you left me, Jesus. I'm like, this is happening. I don't have a job. I need to pay this bill. Look at my wife. Look at my kids. Look at the world. What do you mean I shouldn't be afraid? Because you have peace with me. Start there. That means I'm never going to leave you. You're never going to have to figure this out by yourself. Now, and only now, I want to talk about, that's why I will give you peace. That is the kind of peace that makes no sense. So when we get to a scripture like Ephesians, no, let's go to John chapter 14, verse 25. This is the chapter just before God says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you can do nothing apart from me, all of that, right? Before that, he sets a context with this. He's talking to them about a lot of last things. So he's sharing his heart with his disciples, and he says this. 
These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the comforter, okay, his name is also the comforter. But he's also called the helper. Again, the word comfort is what you would equate with the messenger of peace. The messenger who comes alongside it. The, the Greek word comforter is the word parakaleo, which means to come, to stand aside. The one who stands beside. And guess what he does? The Father will send in my name and he will teach you all the things that you seem to think that Bible is so complicated. All the things that seem to be like, oh, that person's pro-Christian. Oh, this person's got this figured out or they got that. Guess what? We all start from the same starting point every single day. Some of us have just been doing it for many years. But the equation is still one-on-one. Do you get me? It's never to the third and the fourth and then you hear it from this person and you hear it from that person. We, the, tomorrow morning, if I, as the teacher of this lesson, wake up and think I do not need the Holy Spirit, the helper, to teach me, And one of your kids, who is eight years old, who has no concept of some of the theological concepts I'm talking about today, wakes up and says, Holy Spirit, teach me. They have ju- like jumped over where I'm at simply because of a willingness to say, teach me. So wherever you are today in this church, I want you to understand this fundamental truth that when God gives to us His peace comes with no strings attached. It's a full giving of himself to you. He says, but just come to me. Stop running everywhere else. For those of you who did John's study, John chapter 5 verse 39, he talks to the Pharisees and he says this. It's not in my notes, sorry. He says, you'll read these scriptures because you think that in them you have life. And these all talk about me, but you refuse to come to me. Why would we not notice that God wants to be with us in what we're going through? 2 Corinthians. But actually, let's finish this first. To teach you all these things that I have said to you. And then he says it, he flips. He says, he's saying the same thing. This is John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I will give not a purchase not a wait for it till it hits you kind of thing it's been given to you you have peace with him and now he says guess what I'm the arbiter of peace I'm the person who governs peace that's what that word prince of peace means prince is not just a royal title prince has to do with authority he is the one who decides where peace goes So as the prince of peace, as the king of peace, he says, I will give it to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God wants you to be so established in peace because it is something that he has given. Right now I don't have time to go through it, but in Hebrews chapter 7, The book of Hebrews actually talks about why unbelief is what keeps people from reaching in and entering that rest. 
God has designed you for rest. God has designed you for a peace that makes no sense. God has designed you for a joy in the midst of chaos. That word joy in chaos has to do with peace in the midst of craziness. That's the only reason why you can say you have joy. Because you're not happy about chaos, but there is a settledness. But guess what? Did not, let's go, actually, let's just run quickly to Hebrews chapter 3. Because I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter 3, let's read verse 7. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear the Holy Spirit say this, right? Christ is faithful over the God's house as a son, and we are his house. So if you hear God's voice, says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as the nation of Israel did in the day of rebellion, in the testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test, and when they saw my works for 40 years, when God took them out, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and I said they always go to go astray in their heart. They have not see that word there? Known. It's not an understanding thing, it's a knowing. It's a union thing. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. So brothers and sisters, take care lest there be any of you with an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. While it is still today, while it is still today, and God has given us a long today, ever since Jesus, who is Emmanuel, came, there has been a long day called today, which we're still living in. So today, if you hear his voice, stop trying to say, well, I'll figure out how I got to get this fixed first, and then I'll go to God. How many of you have felt that before? I know I have. Where I feel like i got to clean up a little bit of my mess before I go to God so that He will like me a little bit better. i got to just work on a little bit of amends and self-improvement and then I can go and talk to God. Because I've just dressed it up just a little bit. And the peace of God does not operate like that. The peace of God operates purely on the basis of Christ has done something for me. I am not going to be found with an unbelieving heart. Even if I struggle. In Mark chapter 7, where you see this guy who says, Jesus says, and he tells Jesus, Lord, if you can do something. He says, if, you, if, if I can. He was like almost like mocking. <laughs> Jesus was like, you mean, what do you mean if I can? I can. You only need to believe. And then he says something. He says, I believe you but help my unbelief. There are times where we are struggling with how this works, but that does not absolve you from the simple step of faith of saying, I believe. Of saying, I'm willing to start there. I believe you. I don't understand how this works. I don't know how to believe you for this job or my finances or my marriage and how it's all going to pan out. I don't know how this works. But I know that you are trustworthy. So I'm willing to do that. When I do that, I can enter rest. That's what God has promised. And Hebrews chapter 7, he talks about a guy called Melchizedek, which is an amazing story. I mean, I don't have time to unpack all of this. 
Melchizedek was a king of the city of Salem. That city is called Jerusalem today. Okay? Now, Melchizedek was a king. His name means, Melech means king, king of righteousness. Tzedek means righteousness. And he was the king of Salem. Salem means peace. So he was the king of righteousness and he's the king of peace. And guess what? Jesus is the one who has followed on in that order. So this is what he, when, when, when it says, and Jesus is by the order of Melchizedek. What it is saying is, the first king of righteousness and peace has passed on his mantle to the king of righteousness and the king of peace. And forever he will reign. Yeah? So for us to remember that when God is talking about us being part of him, He's saying, my righteousness and my peace reign. Next week, we will unpack why Jesus came so that you see peace as a person. Peace is no longer an attribute. It's no longer a virtue. It is something, he says, I've come to sit. Just the same way Donovan's sitting here and I'm sitting here. Peace has come to sit down next to you. So when we say Jesus is Emmanuel, right? God with us is not a phrase. God with us is Him actually saying, I have come to be peace to you. My peace will be with you and in you. And this is where I want to finish. When Jesus, when Jesus ascended into heaven, is everyone here? Pretty much, okay. We still have two classes to go. Um, when Jesus gave us his salvation, we have peace with him, he resurrected and he went and gave us his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is now the agent of peace. He's the unpacker of peace. So now, you will find scriptures like this. So now I hope, when you see, see, see these kind of scriptures, you're starting first from a place of standing. You're not starting from a concept of feeling. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Everyone paying attention? Don't worry about the kids. They will get to you. Peace does not start with trying to absorb a feeling. Peace starts with a place to stand. Peace starts with, God's not my enemy. So everything that's going on, we both fight together. I'm attacking the thing knowing God's got my back entirely. Not halfly, not quarterly, full, all of it. He flanks me. He surrounds me. He's placed his hand upon me. Right? So there is nothing about your life and my life that's outside of his purview. So when you read a verse like this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. This is a common one. The moment you talk about the peace of God, this is a verse you will hear. And the peace of God, which does not make any sense, 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see that position to stand thing? Where will it guard you? In. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, not in peaceful feelings. Are you hearing me? God is not in the business of guarding you into tranquility kind of la-la land. We are living in a war zone. We're living where relationships are fractured. Things are crazy around us a lot. But when I have the peace of Christ, I'm standing in a place that tackles it head on. And I'm not phased. Settledness is more about peace than calm thoughts. Are you settled when you're facing life? Or are you always upset? So if I'm always upset, I need that anchor. I need that place to stand. And that word guard has to do with this, this Greek word guard is simply dealing with this idea of guarding things attacking you, but also guarding a besieged city. So it's almost like I'm not going to let it get out. I'm not going to let you lose your mind. Mind, we're staying right here. So put a guard around it. So whenever you think about guard your heart and mind, it's not guarding you from outside stuff. It's also guarding the inside stuff from getting out. So if there is peace that you have been given, it's something you walk in consistently. It's not something that happens in waves. It's a place you stand. Okay? So, as we come back next week for Christmas, I hope we don't come back just with Christmassy thoughts, but really with the idea that God wants me to be settled about something that I wasn't settled in before. Right? God wants me to be settled in something that I wasn't settled in before. So right now, as we pray, I want you to ask the Lord for that one thing. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are here with us to be in us, to give us peace. So Lord, I ask for those places where we are not settled about our lives. Help us, Lord, to join ourselves to you. That we might be at peace with you, but also your peace might overflow to us in every aspect. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.